Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Welcome to meeting two of the Hot Young Book Club, where we're discussing The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. If you haven't already listened into the first meeting, we recommend you start there to catch up. Today, we'll be reviewing our takeaways from chapters three and four of The Big Leap. And let's welcome back Claire Jones from Etch and Ivy Design. Hi, Claire. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Sean. Hi, and everyone who's reading along with us will also be back in two weeks when we dive into chapters five and six. So let's jump in, guys. Let's let's do it. So these chapters were kind of, I feel like, the big, the big meat of the big leap. (laughs) That's kind of a gross. Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> big meat. There's a place like that in West Hollywood. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Um, okay. Chapter three. Like, sp- are you talking about the emotional work or just the content itself? A little bit of both. Like, I feel like I still haven't completely processed the emotional work of it, but um, I don't know. I felt like it helped me pinpoint really what I need to do. Same. I felt like the first couple chapters were almost like intro kind of explaining his idea. And then these chapters three and four were actually kind of giving us action steps, which I appreciate. I don't like these like broad generalization things that I feel like some like development books are full of. Like I need like actual items that I can do and like cross off my list. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We don't need like cheerleader, you go girl stuff. Like, right. I I respond to the, ask yourself this question. Okay, write down your answer to that question. Okay, are you doing this? Oh shit, I'm doing that. Like that's the, that's the type of stuff I need to push, like to propel me forward because I need to see some sort of immediate result to encourage me to keep going. Same. Like I had with um, chapter three, the worry chapter, I had a lot of like aha moments reading everything um, Mm -hmm. because I'm a huge worrier. Uh, And, but then the actual things he said to do, I think connected me more to it, like made me process it more. Cause like, I think I could have walked away after the first couple pages and been like, Oh, I'm more like kind of. This is what I do. I'm a worrier. Yeah. It's my personality. Which is, which is what I've really thought my whole life. Like anxiety yeah, for me, I don't call it worry. I obviously call it anxiety. Anxiety for me is like an, uh, an arm of my personality. And the way that he has described it as like a block mm-hmm. of positive energy, it made me really, it really changed my perspective on how I look at worry. Hmm. It's like, a weird, like we kind of, use it as a buffer of like yeah feeling happiness which seems yeah so weird like you're worried about bad things happening 
but yet that's kind of, it's not inviting bad things, but it's stopping maybe good things or better things. Or, or it's giving attention to the negative things that could happen. It's, it's where you are putting your attention. Yeah. Do you guys feel like you worry about stuff that's not real? Or do you feel like you worry about real things that you can't do anything about? Because that's a distinction he makes. Is this is this something? Oh, like real? is someone stepping on my toe, or yeah, or is this just like, oh my god, a, a plane could drop out of the sky and hit my house, and it's like, well, is this a real thing to worry about? Probably not. Can I do like, can I do anything about that? Nope. Because if a plane is going to drop out of the sky, there's nothing I can do about it. Like, I think that's a really good question, Sean, and I think that's kind of the definition between like uh anxiety and kind of like obtrusive thoughts are the ones that aren't mm -hmm. aren't rooted or obtrusive thoughts are like not rooted in reality right and those are the ones that take over your brain like um with people who have ocd um yeah. and you can't get them out of your brain whereas like worry is like oh the stomach flu's going around like i i don't like throwing up the stomach flu's going around i'm really um, afraid i don't want to throw up just oh checking God, rebecca do you like throwing up <laughs> Sometimes, oh. actually, like, when it has to happen. <laughs> Claire. Yeah. Okay. So, no, she has, like, a phobia of it. Though. I do have yeah, an yeah, actual yeah. throw-up phobia, but okay. I think that's a good question because a lot of my yeah. stuff, it's just worrying about things that are completely out of my control. Mm -hmm. uh, like that, throwing up. Like, I'm, other than, like, ha practicing very safe hygiene, there's not a lot you can do in terms of, avoiding getting the stomach flu right it's, either it's gonna so rare like no, you'd have you'd have to go full howard hughes hermit to avoid being around anybody with it like it's just really? how do you execute that well this or is not logical food poisoning like yeah or binge drinking which is more commonly right. when i have had you <laughs> <laughs> it's been a minute I mean, recently, uh, <laughs> so I am not a worrier. So I, you're not, no, I'm oh, like, mm -mm. Uh, I'm, deny, I'm majorly more in denial. So I'm like the other, it's like also like, just, I'm, you don't worry about it. Yeah. Like what's the worst that could happen? Like, have like you I, always been that way? Probably. Wow. And I'm a, it's part of my seven tendency of, I actually always look for the silver lining or the positive to where that can be um, a negative mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. like sometimes it's not rooted in reality either. Um, but yeah, I like had a friend, I know Claire, you're nervous about flying and I had a friend that she was terrified of flying too. Like she was an anxious person and um, I would just be, and we had to go on a trip together and I would just be like, like seriously, if the plane drops out of the sky, like what are we gonna do? Like that's it. That's our time. <laughs> no. And then she All was I hope at is that peace. I'm... And then she was okay. I, mean, I don't care? like. No. Well, I think being next to me helped because I'm not like adding. You to weren't it. worrying. No, like I have a pretty like even Aww. keel with that kind of stuff, and I can be calming, but. Um, I don't know. Like, that's just my attitude. Like, if it's my time, it's my time. Like, I hope I go quickly. Like, I don't want to be in pain or freaked out, but. Do you, do you worry, or I guess, Rebecca, from your perspective, you're not necessarily worrying about things in your business then either? I always, or is that just my in your personal thing is life? everything is going to work out. Like, that is, oh. like, honestly, my 
true philosophy i'm gonna be okay and it's gonna work out i mean i've like i'm not gonna be dead is kind of the way i try to approach stuff like i've gained some kumbaya experience in my life since like in the journey to like going back to design school becoming an adult like having loss in my family those sort of events have made me realize like well i'm still here and this event is likely not going to be the thing that does that and i'm like well i'll have a i'll i'll find somewhere to live i will have family who will look after me if i absolutely had to which is kind of a nice thing to rely on but i've always gone back to that of saying like i can't control this either in my personal life or in my professional life and even in business i'm like well what can I, it's more like, what can I control? Like if, if inquiries have been slow, okay, I'm going to put more time into my social media strategy and my blogging strategy. And I'm going to continue to do those things because there's other, I can't control directly who's picking up the phone to call me and ask for a right. job. Like I, I can't think really, I don't like to think when I have been, I mean, I've had anxiety and I've been stressed and worried about very specific things. Um, but I really try to reel it in and it's like Anna and Frozen 2, like do the next right thing. Like that's where I get really macro, micro with it, where I just like don't look at the end because you don't know where that road's going. Like just I don't know how step. I'm going to get out of this. This situation sucks. I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do, but I know the next right thing is to get out of bed today. Call yeah. a friend. Like get really like small with it like finish a task Take one a little thing yeah hey I'm, okay. yes it's so it's so interesting hearing that from you guys because i feel like i'm a, a a little bit of a mix like in my in my life my general life um i'm definitely like a look on the pop brighter side of things like i'm generally a positive person i have safety nets i you know all of that stuff like i have a stable secure life and, and, uh, and that I've always been very grateful for, but then, so it's kind of like what he says in the book. Then I go like looking for blocks mm. in my, in my work and uh. you all bit, I totally do. And like, um, I'm like Rebecca in that. I think everything will work out in terms of clients always coming to me. Like whenever I like, even now I'm like wrapping up a couple projects and I'm like, Ooh, what? I'm kind of, kind of looking forward to like three months. And the minute I start thinking that a, a former client reached out and she's like, we just bought a new house. We're remodeling it. We need you. Like, Yay. so somehow that always works out for me. Um, and that's, it's actually something I've discussed with my mom who was a business owner. And she said, you just have to always trust that the right clients are going to come at the right time. And you can't operate from that place of worry that Mm -hmm. how are you going to pay your bills and all this, you have to, you have to operate from a more confident place. And so that I'm fine with the little nitty gritty of the project, worrying about when this comes in, is it going to be correct? Stuff like that, that come of that stuff kind of keeps me up at night, to be honest, because I am like a recovering perfectionist and I do, I'm very critical and I operate, uh, striving for like a high level of excellence and i i beat myself up when i know i could have done better mm-hmm. and so okay. i worry about every little piece do you know what i mean i mean i know I like to try to stick the landing you're like going through every 
aspect of it until you get there. Yeah. We probably all have those moments. Yeah. I mean, but it's just about, I think what I was taking away from what he's saying is how often are we going to let those sleepless nights control us? Like, I don't think he's ever said the goal, or I'm not picking up that the goal is to not have these problems. It's to limit how much we let them control us or let them stop us from receiving positivity. And Claire, to your point of like parts of projects, always like worrying about them. I think part of that is you wanting them to be beautiful and to be amazing and to meet the expectations that you've built up for you and for your clients. And I think that, that I mean, part of that is a reasonable pressure of like, I want to meet the expectations of my clients. So I don't, I am worried about, is this going to be the right fit, the right scale, the right whatever for a design? That's I mean, I think like it's part of what we do when it feels like part of the creative process. Like to me, I can be fixated on something, but it doesn't, it feels different than worry or anxiety where I'm like in this creative zone of like, oh, how am I yes. going to do this? And what color? Like, um, and I can difference. stay up like doing, thinking like that, but. Like the logistics not, of it you're worrying about. Well, worry versus I guess creativity because creativity can keep me up at night or um but that feels more like flow and living more in the zone of excellence mm -hmm. genius yeah like you just can't let bad. it go i can't sleep until i get this it. out like i got mm -hmm. it's but it feels good um yeah i wonder like his question of is there action i can do to make a positive difference when it comes to a specific worry like maybe that's just on your to-do list like each item is there some action you can take, like ask the vendor for progress photos or yeah. I don't know, or just yeah. if the answer is no, like it's completely out of your hands. You order the drapery, you can't do anything. And yeah, I'm super a calendar worried. update, like worry about this in two weeks. Like you can maybe set Put that it off. as a date. Yeah. Right. I've been really worried about just like the example that jumped at me when I was reading through it was I'm working on this custom vanity for a bathroom. I really want it to be amazing for the client. It's going to be cool. Um, but I'm super worried about like where everything will line up as far as like the plumbing, the valves, the like all that stuff. And that's truly like where the cabinet makers in his zone of genius, but I've been so worried about it. And while I was reading this, I realized that I had only sent him the spec sheets for the sinks because he had started working on the on all of this very early and he was like just let me know what the sinks are going to be i'll use the spec sheet from the sink and build around them and then as we've gotten further into the design process well now the sinks are actually like he has the sink the kitchen sink for the kitchen part of the project to make sure all the fit and finish is great when he does that i never got the vessels to him for the the bathroom vanity and i'm like oh well I just need to get those over there so he can do like a dry fit. If I'm still so worried about something not working out perfectly, it's and I'm like, probably because of my that. one room challenge when I had the spec sheets were incorrect on the well, and that's website. that's kind of like where I've been thinking about it. I'm like, gosh, I hope that vanity comes out great. And I, every time I do a site visit, I like double check my measurements again, and I'm like okay, stop this. Like, what could I, like, as I'm reading, I was like, one thing I could do to make it even more, like, ease, even easier on myself is just, like, don't just drop the vessels off. Get them off to his shop. 
-hmm. He will have them. And then he's not done yet. So he still has time to work around something. But I just have to do something about it is kind of yeah, where it or talk it through to. with him. Like, I just need to make sure I'm thinking this through right. And and that's kind of where I I know we're all gonna have experiences like that. And I need to clear that out of my mind because it will, it's it's pervasive. It will keep coming back until it goes wrong or it works out perfectly at installation. I'm gonna worry about it. Well, why do I wanna drag that on for? weeks like just mm -hmm. i need to clear it out so i can move on to the other great things and make space for them but it's also like if you think of it as a trigger or a um sign of a upper limit happening mm -hmm. like to try to like peek behind what that is like are you actually... nervous because this is going to be an amazing bathroom and this is going to like set the bar yeah. pretty high and it's like a bit that one of the probably a big project for your portfolio. And I want it yeah. to be like, I, I'm putting, I'm trying not to put that pressure on myself, but I recognize that pressure is there of like, oh, this project has a lot of unique and custom things. And it, it's like a, it's, it's like a new pressure, stretch. But it's not pressure, Sean, it's actually there. Like it's going to happen unless you um, do something to and, and Unless I sabotage it. Yeah. <laughs> unless I stop it by not. So for me, it's like, do everything that I actually can do to help it be its fullest potential. Instead of worrying about it and realizing like, again, going back to the first meeting of the book club, doing something to stop it from being the best it can be. And- Which includes and the process. It. Like part of this is like, enjoy working on a successful project. Right. Like this doesn't right. need to feel shitty to get something amazing. Exactly. So, yeah, so to tie that to the book, there was one line he said, um, saying that I need to uh, overcome thousands of years of programming that adversity is a constant requirement of existence. Mm -hmm. Basically, we can enjoy all of our blessings and enjoy all the good things in our life and not constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like right. we talked about last week. Like, yeah. enjoy the yes. creative process, enjoy your project. Like we assume yeah. we have to suffer in order to have good things. Especially right. right now, like I keep catching myself um, with people. I'm having I'm in conversation with somebody. And they're like, "How are things going?" And I'm like, "Actually, they're going really good. Like, yeah, this is mm -hmm. a really great time for my specific industry as far as growth and mm -hmm. work." And I know it's not for everybody, but I don't, I don't think I should have to feel miserable Bad. because <laughs> other people are suffering. I'm not going to be like. I'm going to read the room, obviously, but I don't know. We can still enjoy, like, we got fucked in 2008, so, like, this time, yeah. you know, like... Look, you're not over here becoming Jeff Bezos no. just because you're having some success during, during this quarantine, like, and coronavirus. Like, yeah, people care about their homes, and finally there's some additional value that people are recognizing is offered by our industry and what you do. And why should you feel bad about that? In the same way that people are like, oh, we should have been so grateful for doctors and we've never been so grateful for food service people before because we never thought about it. And it's like, right. well, I should have So is that like about... deflecting and like think, but I guess what I mean is like thinking about it, being respectful, but also don't block the goodness and the good energy that's coming towards uh -huh. you. Mm -hmm. um, 
be like polite and respectful, but don't deflect when things And that are is the good. deflection of like, oh, well, actually, like that's you apologizing for things being good. And oh, apologizing for privilege when there's other things you can be doing with that privilege that are actually right. helpful. Um, and I, yeah, with the deflecting, I really, um, I really recognize that in myself uh, in terms of my projects. Like I did yes. an install last week at a nail salon and Christine, our eyebrow person stopped by Rebecca and she was like, girl raving and like this is huge Claire oh my god you know this is amazing right like the, and I was like and I kept deflecting her like I could in the moment I knew I was doing it I was like oh I don't even know how to take all of this you know like I can't and everyone who walks into the nail salon says like really nice things and I think because it's on a level I mean it's a very public space which is uh I usually I do residential and so it's so for public consumption that I'm all, and people haven't even, like the public haven't even come to this nail salon yet. And I'm already like almost putting a shield of deflection up to, cause I can't absorb it, which. Don't do it. I, stop it. I when I read Just that, in the book, I was like, oh my God, I need to say. And, and I think the way he phrased it, like that he like phrases responses where you can deflect yeah. and still yeah. recognize that like, um, like he's one thing was, you know, I thank you. I appreciate you for saying that. I'm, I'm when this guy did a good presentation, I'm glad it came across well. Cause I felt bad about running out of time. Like you can still kind of, cause I, I probably would have said something like that. Like, damn, I really wanted to finish. I didn't, you know, whatever. So, um, or it's just, yeah. So it I mean, I think it's, it. thank you. This was a really fun project. I'm really grateful for my client for letting yeah. us go so bold or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or I don't usually work on projects like this. This was a really great way to try something new. Like, yeah, I need to think of a good response. Like, thank you. Yes. Yes. It's like the gracious acceptance speech, but still owning that, like you won. <laughs> right I started I'm getting, up here for a reason right I mean I really struggle with deflection but I started getting annoyed when I started realizing like when people like, if you said like oh your hair looks cute today and someone's like oh it's a total mess and you know they like oh. blew it out like yeah spent time on it so <laughs> I don't want to come off like that and it's like don't make the other person feel like they just did something wrong so it's also like more gracious to just accept their compliment because they spent the energy that, to give it to you that that's outfit so is beautiful true. this old thing like it's there's more polite to accept it there's nothing better when you give a compliment because i like to give compliments to strangers a lot there's nothing better to see someone receive your compliment and see it affect them positively and oh, so they light up yeah yes so if you could do that in your response when someone gives you a compliment like then they get that from you of knowing positively like oh when i give someone a compliment then they're happy that's my reward is i see them light up i see them be excited about it and, and assume they mean it and just take it yeah like i'm starting yeah. to say more if somebody says something nice thank you i really appreciate you saying that because i do not just like lets me take it thank them and like i don't need to over explain or minimize or <laughs> Talk about all the yeah. things that I don't like about whatever it is. I know. Talk about all the, yeah, the critical stuff that's going on in your brain. So. Oh, speaking of critical stuff, like 
the squabbling one. <gasps> well, because criticism, there's two parts of this. It was criticism and blame where it talks about like how it's costly to our relationships and trying to like challenge ourselves to stop criticism. And I feel like for me, I was thinking of that of like, oh, I saw that in past personal relationships, not business relationships. And I was realizing like, it really wasn't about something I was trying to criticize in the other person. It was, there were signs that those people were not the right person for me. Um, and so I see that. And then also I, there are times, I think every couple realistically has times where you like criticize something of your significant other, where you're like, why are you constantly like overfilling the trash can? Like, <gasps> just take it out. Don't try to cram more stuff in there. And I realized like, oh, well, that's not really helping. Like, I don't need to criticize that in that example. Like, I don't need to criticize overfilling it. It could just be like, I could take it out or I could say, would you mind taking that out? Like, Give I don't need a to- a big favor, yeah. Yeah, I don't need to add criticism on top of the issue. Yeah. And I like where he says like, if you think that one of your behaviors is an addiction that you can't stop, whether it's yeah. worrying or criticism, it's like, try to stop it for just one day. And if you can't, it's probably an addiction. It's not just a habit that you can choose to drop at any time. You're addicted to doing that every day. And criticism and blame and squabbling stood out as something where it was like, those are things that people become addicted to in interactions. That's their pattern. Oh, we're just like that. That's how our relationship is. It's, like, we all know the couple where uh -huh. all they do is fucking critique each other and it's so- And fight. Yes. Yeah. And it's so uncomfortable to be in that room with them. Yes. Um, I do want to say I love gay, but when he said he hasn't had an argument with his wife- Oh my God. Bullshit. Bullshit. Years. <laughs> Statements Bullshit. like that. I'm like- you're just made yeah. this unrelatable. No, because okay? then he goes, because here's what I say to that. He's they're the couple like who, he's the, they're the couple that says, we're not having an argument. We're having a discussion. Yes. Nope. Forget you, buddy. Yeah. No, I don't I believe mean, that bull crap. are when they're <laughs> hanging out with his several billionaire friends or whatever. Oh, I'm so glad you something. just said that because I literally wrote, I wrote a <laughs> remark where I said, is anyone else bothered by how he has to keep sharing stories about millionaires and billionaires? Because I don't feel like this is making it relatable unless his goal is to get a reader to imagine being a millionaire and a billionaire by taking their big leap. Otherwise- I wonder if it's like a um, time, like this is 2009 that he wrote yeah. it. So it feels like a time and place a little bit, like 2009. Like aspiration. I, well, I, and like we're like more critical of like extreme wealth right now, and I don't know. Ooh, yeah, that's I agree with that. Um, I still I felt like it's a little out of tune. I, I, I also, totally agree. Yeah, the, the examples are like I'm sorry, but the example at the beginning of chapter three was so fucking stupid that we have a billionaire worrying a, because his wife about toilet paper, expensive toilet paper. <laughs> like unless Hermes makes a toilet paper, I think you can afford afford toilet paper. Like right? you yeah. couldn't do that fast math? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't think she's wiping her ass with Chanel. I think you're okay. <laughs> no, that like really, but it, and so it made me think like, is that really true? Like, are there billionaires who would really worry about stuff like that? And probably. I know that probably. once you become a millionaire, billionaire, you still have money stress. Yeah. But that just seems like such a, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it just like under, 
it it underscored the real issue was just like I, it was to me it was a it was a big leap for that to lead to like oh we have money but i don't feel like i deserve love like yeah i know people i know a lot of people got issues and i yeah the money's not gonna cure it but but for me that was a big stretch to be like we have, like, I want to criticize my wife to start fights because I don't feel like I deserve love because that's how my family was over <laughs> toilet paper. I was not here for that. I was not here for that. That was like, who the hell is this guy that he's going to pick fights with his wife over toilet paper because he feels like he doesn't, times. he doesn't deserve love? Like, yeah. And then I was like, well, this is why he gets paid really big money because these people got real, that's a real issue right there. Like mm -hmm. that is a <laughs> yeah. deep seated, like you need deep therapy sessions. If Agreed. not feeling like you deserve love because of your family led you to starting fights about toilet paper. But don't you think like you could probably <laughs> like drill into your like little, either whether they're squabbles or internal annoyances with your- yes spouses that are like i mean i like terry buys toothpaste i swear every freaking time he goes to the store and we have just toothpaste 20 tubes <laughs> and so it's now we've treated it as a joke and sarcasm but like yeah i don't know some of these things are just stupid like why does it bother me like we have storage for all the toothpaste like i think you just it's probably going down to like a a, we don't we don't need it. So why are you still buying it if we yeah. don't need it yet? And well, like we all buy it. lots of things we don't need. Right. So, right. Like so why are you picking that it. one thing instead of like him not? He's not criticizing when you have an empty Starbucks cup in the trash. Going, you didn't uh, need Starbucks. Actually, oh, <laughs> squabbling. Not in the trash, but we had the joke like. Oh, like you went these. for lunch today. Mm. No, like I'll leave my coffee out and I'll fill it up or I'll heat it up, you know, like five times like a mom. Okay. And sometimes he'll throw it out and it'll be like my last like bit of coffee and I don't want to make oh. it. Oh. So now he'll have a joke if I leave the coffee mug and he comes home from work like 10 hours later. Can I? Hey, you can heat this up. Like, yeah. so the coffee is. Actually, that's a sensitive issue in our household where it's like, who touched my cheese? There's a book called, I think, Who Moved My Cheese is the yeah. name of the book. Did you guys ever? Okay, so it's that, I, but we joke about that of like, if I'm literally touching, I'm still using it and I will walk away for a second. And from last week's discussion, you guys know that my husband, Sean, he likes doing things for people as the way he shows his love language. So he'll like grab something to put it in the trash or in the recycling or like a dish towel. And then he's like gonna go put it to like in the laundry. And I'm like, I am, I just use that and there's yeah. no other clean towel. And then he's like, oh, I was just trying to help. And then I'm like, yeah, well, you move my cheese. Like, and, and then it's like, I can't do anything right. Fine, I'm never gonna do yeah, anything yeah, yeah. good. That's and like I'm like, can you just spiral. get me another towel? If you take a towel, can you give a towel so I have one? Like, like, we jokingly sometimes call him uh, Bet Medler, Kate Middleton. Uh, we have a couple of them. We have a few of them because he likes, it's like that idea of meddling, like getting involved in things that you don't need to do, but that's how he shows love. But it, I wouldn't say those create squabbles. We're not really like trying to create a victim in this scenario, but it makes me consciously aware of like, oh, well, that's a form of criticism 
to do that, where I could just, instead of criticizing it, just say, can you bring me another towel? I know that, thank you for taking yeah. the other one. And um, I did think, I, I always assume I'm being criticized. I always assume I'm being criticized by that kind of stuff. So that's something that Terry and I talk, like, argue Ooh, about. That's your that's your victim thing, right there. It's like blame and criticism was more towards myself. Like, I don't like to point fingers at other people, but I usually will accept responsibility as a. Oh, I fucked that up again. So yeah, that's I- that's you accepting the role of the victim, and creating the role of someone else as the aggressor, which he talks yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's like, you have to consent to be, to be Because if he says, and- are you done with this coffee? I'm like, yes, fine, I'm done. And he's just like, I just gonna- <laughs> I can see this whole scene. Yep. <laughs> yes. God, why do you always gotta criticize me? He's like, I literally just asked you. <laughs> I don't care whether you want the last swill of this coffee, like take it, fine. See, um, I can take I can take tons of criticism because anything that anyone has ever said to me, I've definitely thought worse in my head. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm really like self-aware and, and probably overly critical of myself that there's nothing I, I don't think that anything anyone could tell me that I would be like offended or hurt or whatever. You know what your I Enneagram think I didn't is, know that. Like, hmm? Do you know what your Enneagram is? Are you a one? I I don't identify with any of them. No. So I've had a, I've had a hard problem. Um, I've tested for, when I tested, I got three, um, three different ones. It was like one, six and something else, I think. One is that um, really self-criticism. That's what Terry's a one. So, so the whole thing is like, no one will criticize me as much as. Oh yeah. So like I, I can take feedback, like nobody's business. I can also fucking give feedback. Let me tell you. And that's my problem. Like, I'm critical myself. I'm fucking critical of you too. And I will tell you. Like, I'm also Oh, you want to talk about mama? Yeah. In retaliation, it won't be like, oh, you said about me. I'm going to say this about you. It's not tit for tat like that for me. It's more like I offer feedback on a pretty consistent basis. My standards are high. Let me tell you what they are. Exactly. And then I need these, I need these needs to be met. You're not meeting them. Like, I don't know. It works for me and my, my marriage. If you say it like that. Yeah. (laughs) If you try, I I don't know. I try to keep emotion. That's clear and direct. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, but then that's then a whole other level of the book where he talks about like, part of this is also showing the emotion of it because sometimes that's what other people need to see. Um, I did pause when he talked about looking at responsibility as instead of it's a one pie for everybody to split, it's that it's everybody has their own one whole pie and you have, everybody has to accept 100% on of their own. So if like, it's the three of us in a situation there's three Rebecca has a hundred percent, Claire has a hundred percent, and Sean has a hundred percent. And I was like, ooh, that's an interesting way. It's not this was 80% your fault and 20% mine. It's I'm a hundred percent responsible for all of my actions, and someone else is one hundred percent responsible for all of theirs, and we just need to meet that. What he didn't say with that though is like if I think back on like longstanding kind of like hurts that I still maybe carry from the past Mm -hmm. and 
I realized and recognized that I haven't taken a hundred percent. Like I'm still like mentally blaming. Um, but he didn't say like, so if I own the hundred percent that that was all my responsibility, of course my actions were, but the whole experience, it seemed like he wants you to own, um, how you deal with the fact that the other person didn't or won't or. Yeah. I feel like it only Uh... works out. If you both go, if you both take 100%. If all parties accept it, yeah. Yeah. Well, then otherwise you end up with the, like, many thousands of years of war. (laughs) Wait, can we talk about the uh, sickness of it all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It killed me. How he said, so the upper upper limit problem, um, when we reach a big goal, we'll either get sometimes will self-sabotage and get sick or have an accident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said that he hasn't had a cold or flu in 13 oh God, years because he's, because he doesn't have an upper limit problem. I call or bullshit Or fights with his wife. You can't how say about, this kind of how stuff. How about he just has that like space age utopian healthcare that all these uber wealthy people have and that's why he doesn't yeah he gets like (laughs) iv infusions every day i don't know he's getting like baby cells injected i don't know like okay but on the other side of that like i was starting to think about this because i was feeling i have been feeling kind of accident prone lately and um remember a few weeks ago when i was on my trip i fell and like really hurt my hand and yeah um i Cause I was trying to like, he's like, not everything is, but if you can kind of like look under, like, is there potential for it? So I started thinking about that day that I fell and I was actually Sean, that was a day that you and I were working on some ideas for the podcast and, um, yeah, like ways of kind of leveling up and that have, I don't know. So I was but very you focused hurting on your hand didn't too. stop you from, D- it, from it's working not stopping on those well for that day it did yeah, yeah maybe maybe, yeah, maybe you weren't ready to go there but we really I mean, haven't worked on it since <laughs> like i had a lot of momentum you know like mentally that's true yeah and you were but part of that was you were in a separate space you were out of your home environment and i know that you're yeah. really productive when you do that so maybe that was sabotage of like I mean, it's my right hand that, you, that i couldn't you had all right. that movement and momentum building I also saw that as like, maybe you should be taking a break to spend more time with your family during that trip instead <laughs> of working on work. Cause I was shocked at that you wanted to do that while you were there and you were like, they went to Target, quick, let's do work. And I was like, she really want to do work on her vacation? Like I was shocked, but maybe that was, well, that's the universe also times in multiple of, ways. It's also times of quarantine where I feel like I have to like catch and grab time alone yeah. like so. yeah that's true but i also I've, know there is some work addiction in there too yeah i usually have noticed times of like being sick or just not being well like after a really big project where i, I think i've like pushed i always talk about like this huge mind body link where when you're your mind knows that you need to get through a major task mm-hmm. with a lot of expectations, like finishing an install or whatever. And then I get like a cold immediately after I took the, I used to think like, Oh, that's more of a symptom of like, I put myself through a lot of stress yeah. and anxiety and pressure. And then my, my mind was pushing my body through that illness 
until it was done and then my body is done and it it then accepts getting sick yeah after like my mind yeah my mind was able to push my body through it until the task was done and I feel like why do you have to get sick like I mean I agree I think that way too but now I'm like does that mean that I just can't enjoy the glory of finishing a big task or accomplishment or do you guys get sick when you go on vacation I don't. I, I, I know people who do. Yeah, I know, a lot I know of people, people who, who do too. And for but me, I, that's the sign they waited too long. Like you were already at your limit by the time you got a vacation. Like you were mm-hmm. already gone. Or they just can't enjoy it. Like they're just blocking and enjoying they're it. Not so now they, had an, now they have an awful vacation and they're like, oh, vacation was so terrible and this and I was sick and then my family was this and it's like you couldn't just enjoy being on vacation and not working. And then you get to do squabbling and blame. <laughs> and yeah. All of it. I think that's the just stop of it all was like, I reflected on being, being in pain, like physically and emotionally being stressed out when I was kind of towards the end of my banking career and recognized that I was overstressed. I was having headaches. My, I was like prehypertensive with my blood pressure and the doctor was telling me, like, we need to put you on medication or something's got to give. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And that was sort of like the impetus for, I need to leave this job. I need to pull off the Band-Aid and get, get into my design career. Like, I was in my senior year of school, in design school, and I was like, I'm still stuck in this banking career. And so I, I took the illness, the sickness, as the symptom of needing to leave, needing to make, in that case, that was a big leap then, to do that. Yeah. And I was, like, gr- I was like grinding my teeth, the whole, like everything. If, if the universe could have given me more signs, I, it would have been hitting me with a car. Like, well, that's because your brain or your body is like, okay, brain is not working. Like you're not yeah. like- I've been trying to tell action. you for months. Like, <laughs> so let's get this show on the road, buddy. Absolutely. Totally. Um, Should we dive into chapter four yet? Or do you guys want to talk more about- Well, I want to talk about the last thing with chapter three with the wholeness. Um, oh, like integrity. About, yeah, yeah, and discovering your story. Like he asked the question, are there old family stories that tell you why you shouldn't access your genius? And I was thinking about it because I don't, I didn't see like a direct story of like, you should, you shouldn't yeah. succeed or whatever. But cousin, cousin Bill tried to be a designer once and look what happened to him. Like, yeah, but I did start thinking that there are many creative people in my family um mm-hmm. like my grandfather was a super creative and he was an artist and a photographer but never had any kind of like financial success um both my parents are creative but they basically what i realized is that with all the creativity in my family no one has made any money off of it oh not necessarily that they were failures but either they pushed it aside and it became a hobby um hmm. and they use the more analytical or like responsible side of themselves like get into the my mom's like in the school system and but yeah. my mom also could have had a creative career if she, i don't know she was in a different probably time too but interesting so i don't so it's kind of a modeling thing i feel like for me where yeah and we've talked about this on the podcast too like there aren't a lot of highly successful creatives that we got to see growing up 
Yes. So inside my family and I think in culturally as well. That's interesting. I struggled to find, I'm, I, it may be there. I just may not have processed Same. it yet. You know, like I'm like, mm-hmm. is there a story that I haven't considered that's kind of made me create a shortcoming or I don't, I don't know what it is if it is there. But I, I think part of that was also, I mean, it was a, it was a huge change to leave a 13 year career. And I know we talked about that previously. So I feel like that was already a really big leap. And I recognize at that time, looking back, there were plenty of stories of family members and everybody who were saying, why can't you just stay in banking and do this on the side? Or I really think you should get like a master's degree in something else and then do design as another degree. And I was like, I don't want to. I just don't want to. Like, so I think the story might this, be you're being irresponsible by pursuing this career. And and there's definitely that. And I have not had everyone in my life be supportive of it. I have had many family members. And I, here's one thing that did st- stand out. It's very hard as designers, I've noticed, to celebrate the things that are really great about what we do and what we accomplish when family members and friends don't understand what we do and why things are important all day. Like to get press is a huge accomplishment. There's this great feeling that comes with it for me to know that editors or other people felt like a project was worthy of being shared with a broader audience. And I'm that level, like, that would might be something that normally, like if you were in another job where you had a project published that you would like have a little like get together with people and they would celebrate you and they'd maybe share it at a meeting if you were in a corporate culture and people would have their like woohoo for you moment. And it would be in your little like bag of I'm a badass bitch comments. Like when you get your annual employee review, it would be like, I had three pop projects that got published this year. But as designers, it's like, well, we just celebrated ourselves most of the time. Or if you have a small company, you celebrate it internally. But my family doesn't go, oh, did you see my brother got published this month in this like design publication? Like he's a badass. They don't, they don't, don't, no, they don't. Wait, can I ask you? Because I feel like a lot of celebrating happens for designers um, on social media. Do they I think with, among designers. Yeah, and like, or at least recognition or acknowledgement. Do they some of my family? Media? Some of my family do. They very rarely comment. They very like. They're like, okay, like, and then I would say like the some of the most vocal supporters are my husband, who is like, for mm-hmm. those of you who follow the Hot Young Designers Club or my feed or Rebecca's feed or. Sean is always in there like and you think he's like a Russian bot but like no he really is like being he's really trying to show support but he it sounds like a robot um but he tries he tries sweet he really means it and my mother-in-law is very supportive but my I I don't want to say my family's not supportive I just think they don't know what it looks like to be supportive of a creative field and so that makes it hard to celebrate either my parents are but it makes them now I'm like now that you're saying that I'm feeling it. it makes them uncomfortable like yeah I mean I was chosen by the editors of Better Homes and Gardens to be a feature feature designer designer. yeah that's huge that's pretty cool and I felt kind of like 
showboaty like saying that but i and you should (laughs) and but none of my cousins or sorry guys if you're listening i love you but and i don't expect this but it's not how our family operates it's too Um, late to come back now cousins (laughs) i'm sure they're not but if you know they're um we don't do that so that's sad because my family's the opposite like First of all, my mom will brag about me to anybody. Like when I was in um, Sacramento Magazine, every time she was at the grocery store, she had to tell like everyone around her, like my daughter has a project in this magazine, you know? Uh... So, and that is kind of how just my whole family is. Like, and I and my parents my are, they don't do it to me, but I, I know my parents are, they are, they have conversations. Like, I don't know, like, it's weird. And I have like aunts, ever... I have like aunts who I can't do anything wrong in their eyes. Like, oh, Claire knows everything. You need help with the color. You know what I mean? Like, oh, uh, so like, Claire, when you grew up, when you were growing up, would people tell you, "I'm so proud of you," or "You're doing so great," or like, was that common in your household? Oh, for sure. Just, I mean, okay. we were, we were, my mom, we were supported in anything we did. Yeah. My mom was very supportive and very like forthright with that. Um, but my dad, my brother, like my brother is like, he's just like, hey, like he's just very like, whatever. Like that's just him with everybody. It may be. And being that my mom, my mom passed over 10 years ago and there's less of that influence in our family. Cause Uh I think she was bringing them to a level of expression. And then now that in the absence of that, they're very non-expressive of things. Like it's it's very rare to hear my dad go, I'm proud of you or thank you. Or it's just kind of like everything's a familial obligation. And my brother kind of does that too, where he's just non-expressive. But well, Sean kind of learned. Yeah. But Sean, on the other hand, is like, I'm so proud of you. Like it took him a while to get there. Like you're literally like holding all the spinning plates like in running a business in making it Mm -hmm. successful in growing its reach in helping your clients like when he reads the testimonials that clients write for me he's like oh my god that was really nice of them like that's really like they didn't have to say any of that and he takes it to heart but I don't feel like in the broader audience a lot of people are are being outright okay. with I'm going to put you on the spot. So yesterday I left you a Marco Polo telling you how proud I was of our, us. And <laughs> I'm I not didn't asking. Reply. Did that make you feel uncomfortable? It did. Oh. I'm not going to lie about it. It makes me, but you does. acknowledged when I, when I said I was proud of you, you acknowledge it, Sean, you accepted it. Did I? You did. <laughs> I made kind of like a fuss, like it was like a whole series of like, specific Marco Polo's. You were really specific about like like, sit and accept six months ago. Like six months ago. This was just an idea. Like we never even would have thought about this. This wasn't even on our radar. We never could have thought about creating this and we need to own doing that. Because we went live with Jaipur Living yesterday. And that was was like a really big like it was really exciting. And you guys and I loved it. Did so well. But I did deflect at the end. We got on the call with their marketing team, uh, the marketing team member after. She was like, that was one of my favorite ones. And I had so much fun listening to you guys. And I really liked it. And I was like, oh, you don't have to say that. And I was like, damn it. Like, I don't need to sabotage that and deflect it off. I need to be okay with like, if she, whether or not she meant it, it whether she meant it or not, 
even if she's she being polite she to like boost us up, I know. But even if I think maybe that's part, ooh, maybe that's part of it. We're not used to receiving authentic compliments from a lot of people. And so sometimes oh. you get, like you get, you get inauthentic oh, remarks and we're, and we're just like, well, they don't really mean that they're just being polite. But how about if we just accept that, that I need to accept, they really do feel that way. Even if they don't, what's the harm in me saying they really feel that way and I'm going to accept it. And I'm not being delusional by accepting it, even if they don't mean it. I and get I'm to going accept, to invite more. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to accept that and be okay with it. And you're right, Rebecca, that I did not know. <laughs> and I still don't know because in my head, I'm like, we have so much work to do. We have this and that. And oh my gosh, we sure. over, like we worked really hard yesterday on that. And we spent a lot of time hustling it out and doing it. And I think part of me was like caught up in the, the productivity of it versus being okay with the results of that productivity. Right. Yeah. And I've just been trying to do that. I mean, I'm not always like, but Sean, you're really good at like being heartfelt and like being grateful for like our friendship and you show gratitude, but I just wanted, like, I do that a lot with people that when I see that they're having a big experience, like just take a minute and just sit and feel it. Cause like, I know yeah. I don't like my brain's going a million miles an hour. I'm you already go to the next thing. thing. Yeah. So it's like, take a minute, like let's soak it in, feel it, it. And then, um, we, yeah. Don't focus on what's not done yet or what has to get done still, but own that you did just finish something really big. We and, like hit one happy. little plateau. Like we're still climbing the mountain, but yeah. And I think there's something, I mean, obviously I come from a family of celebrators, not just verbally, but also physically. And I think like uh, a project I finished last July or this July that just happened. I mean, whatever, however you say that. <laughs> And I had some friends, we were photographing Wait, it. Wait, July 2020? Like two weeks ago. As in two yeah. weeks ago? Okay. Oh I'm my God, you. yes. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so discombobulated. Welcome to quarantine. Um, yes, we're, I was shooting it in July and my friends came by for lunch and they got to get a tour of the house and we got to have lunch together. And that felt like very celebratory for me. Like oftentimes we finish a client project that's something we're really proud of. And then we're already onto the next thing. And so even just like doing little moments like that, That's I think cute. are important. So absolutely. And I'm working really hard to put, to be that as m being a mother, like I really try to make sure that I acknowledge successes and build her up where I see like she tried really hard and something that I knew no isn't easy for her or the effort. Like I try to celebrate the effort and not the results. Right. Because you're not like, well, a 12 year old wouldn't have a problem with that. You'll get there. You're like, okay, you're not though. You're a kindergartner. Really, that's the so the worst unicorn I've ever seen. No. <laughs> <laughs> Looks nothing like a unicorn. I can't wait for art class to start. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, so let's go into chapter four. I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to preview this. After getting through chapter four, I still don't know if I'm in the place I want to be to understand my zone of genius. Same. Rebecca, like, I'm going to need time with this. Yeah. Did you... Okay, so chapter four is about figuring out what, actually what you're doing 
like physically doing, right? Yeah, to express your genius. Yeah. And I'm not there. And me neither. I couldn't. Did you think of yours, Rebecca? Kind of. The Russian doll analogy was helpful to me. Um, I don't have it fully articulated and I don't know how it translates to like a job (laughs) per se, but I mean, it kind of does. But um, yeah, I liked how he was describing. So I'll do, this is not done. This was just what I was jotting down when I was reading it an hour ago, but um, I am at my best when I'm helping people. Mm-hmm. When I'm at my best, the exact thing I'm doing is helping people articulate um, how they want something to look. Okay. Like I can put the vision into words. Um, when I'm doing, oh my God, my computer just closed. When I'm doing that, the thing I love most about I don't know about, well, what I love most about it is, this is the part that I don't know how to articulate, actually, ironically, but um, creating designs and work that bring positive energy to people. Mm -hmm. It's like an energetic thing, like I'm realizing, because I can feel how the space, or back when I was a graphic designer. Yeah. And making it palpable to the people experiencing it. I'm having trouble. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking in what you're saying, and it, it'll probably help me formulate more as we go through that idea, but I think I struggle with that. Of I think we need to pay attention during our days when we realize we were in a state of flow, like what were you doing? Right. What like was we it that made it, it? magical? Like, ooh. Right that that went really fast or the results of that yeah. were great like i think i i know of like one moment where it was just like the idea we talked about it briefly in the past in, in a episode of the podcast where we talked about uh one of my sizzles was creating this fireplace concept for a project where originally we were not even going to be doing any of that and then it was like can you help us with the fireplace? All the guys are already here working and we've been wanting to tackle this and it's ugly. And I had to really quickly develop a concept, present it, and then also work on the like development of how is it going to work? How am I going to execute this and do it functionally and you know build it? So I was able to make that come together very quickly and present it and the client was like, oh my God, like I hadn't thought about this and I I need a second to think about it. And it was one of those words like, we're gonna do this. This is gonna be amazing. And I felt so great about that. And I felt like that specific thing felt like a zone of genius moment um, because the stars all aligned for me, for the client, for the contractor on a really short period of time that was like the magic of design or the sexiness of design. And I felt like I was in my zone of genius when that happened. I, I mean, I definitely think yours is revolving around problem solving and mm-hmm. um, like creating, I don't know, practical and beautiful solutions. Like you're, right. you, you have your feet in both sides pretty firmly. Mm-hmm. 
I feel that think through that part of it like yeah this the troubleshooting the problem solving is definitely like that for me is like helping to remove or reduce pain points for clients in projects is huge for me whether it's flow of a home or the circulation or like that's where I walk into a a place and clients are like, we really want to spend our money on lists. And I'm like, no, the real problem is that there's no window right there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, really? And I'm like, that is like just giving all the wrong energy. Like it will feel so different if you just do that, put your money in that. Or when they, I feel like that there's mm-hmm. some of that, like I wrote some of that down of like, when have I felt the most magical? It's like during a two hour consult, when I come up with some crazy idea and the client's like, oh my God, I never thought of that. That's the thing. Maybe it's That's like solving it. problems they didn't know they had. Right. Or giving a new perspective, sharing a new perspective. Right. And I also solve problems, but it's like, what's more? I think solving problems is like the biggest Russian doll. Like, it's like, what's like, what's all three of us solve problems as partly what our job is, right. mostly what our job is. But what is our specific seed that helps us do that? So it's like drilling, drilling, drilling. And that's where I have to get to. Because part of that, what's so great about that is that it's so rewarding. Mm -hmm. Because when you solve the problem, you get to the The result and everyone's happy and you're like, oh yeah, I'm the boss. Like I I did that. They needed me. They needed my Jedi powers to do that. Right. And they couldn't have done that on their own. And that's the magic of a designer. And so I want to make sure, like, is that uniquely me? I don't know. No, if that's, that's my magic zone of genius. you. Like that was your solution. Like, yes, you might. Not I might have, done have the same focused on a different situation. P- well, that fireplace clearly needed <laughs> some help, but <laughs> I solved it a different way or focused on a different Correct. part of it. I don't know. Right. <laughs> that thing had a bad haircut like I don't know what happened it was it was rough it was rough like it, I mean honestly if I had only done like if I had just thrown some paint on it it would have been like ah it's amazing it's beautiful because anything would have been improvement yeah. but the fact that it all you know those moments where just everything came together perfectly and and then you're just like whoa that's where I feel like I need to reflect the chapter four was really a rough go for me yeah, the, the what produces the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction to time spent, that is like a hard one for me to answer. Yeah. Because I can do a lot of things, but I can spend a lot of time on them that maybe isn't the best place to spend the time. I don't know. Right. But then those aren't zone of genius. Those are like maybe zone of competence where you can spend time on them because you're good at them, but they're not necessarily getting you to where you need to or be. Or not. Like, I mean, I can lose five hours working on my website. It's not. I think part of, of you is like you have, you kind of have fun doing that. I do, but it's not genius. But time does still slip away really fast. I don't know. Yeah. I can get in a flow state with it, but it's not. I don't know. It's pro- it's not my best. Like, Maybe I you like the problem for... solving of it. Yeah. Like that's you trying to find a way to problem solve when instead of spending it on like your website, you should be spending more time problem solving for clients or projects. I was about to say, could it just be a procrastination tactic? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. One more obstacle that's well, stopping you felt... from the positivity. <laughs> I, had a, I had a hard time with my zone of genius too. I obviously thought problem solver, But then something that kind of came out for me is like, 
I am at my best when I'm with other people. And mm. I think that's kind of a weird thing to say for someone who's solo and not only solo, but I envision myself as staying solo for a while, you know? Or um, let's call it boutique. <laughs> like it might be you and one other or maybe oh, two other, but that's not even the best. Like you don't want to manage people. I don't, I've, I've spent enough of my life managing people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think like even just looking back at the past year, like I, or I get the most satisfaction when I'm like either like presenting to, I love presenting to clients. Like the high, oh, yeah. when I get from leaving, I like could fucking rule the world on that high. <laughs> um, and whereas like, I don't feel that way after installation. Installation for me is like a big relief. A weight is lifted. I feel accomplished, but I, I don't feel like I could do, I mean, I feel proud of myself and all that, but it's not- Is that as because big, you can visualize it? Like you already know what it's gonna yeah, look like. Exactly, like <laughs> I, I literally, I am very good at visualizing. So I guess that not, some things it does, I don't get surprised really at right. install. Um, so I don't know if that meant I'm just doing the right thing, working with client, you know what I mean? Like. Whereas I know what is it about the presentation? So like drilling into that, what is it about the presentation? Is it, um, like talking through ideas or bringing joy to the client in a space that was giving them pain or. Yeah. I like, I like for them to be able to see like my vision of the space and bringing joy and fun and whimsy and color and stuff to a space that, you know, most of my client spaces start out pretty blah, you know? And so kind of getting them excited gets me excited too. Mm -hmm. So having them get a new perspective on things and get excited about their house when normally they have not been excited or they've been, you know, feeling negatively about their house. It's infectious when they're psyched for it and they're like when are we starting and you're like okay well don't get too crazy it's going to be a two to four month process just to plan all this but like it is infectious though so i think that's where i get the most satisfaction um and then at the you know i do like hearing how happy clients are at the end too but i think if i could just pinpoint the one place it's probably at presentation stage i feel like you and rebecca need to share a project manager so that way you can spend more of your time in those magic making portions of a job and less of the, like it's basic. You guys, have you guys read, um, oh shoot, the titles, it might, I don't even know what it's called, but it's like the concept is we all have like an emotional bucket and some things take out of our bucket and some things fill up our mm. bucket. Oh. And, and like, so filling up your bucket emotionally or like satisfaction wise and abundance wise is presentations and problem solving and the concepts and like the joy that comes with creating this and the feelings from homeowners. But what like for me, what takes away from that is I'm really good at project managing, but it is exhausting because that's part of what they're paying me to do is to handle that, that stress, the, the process, the flow for them. They're like, that's an essentially the trade-off is they're going to pay me to project manage, which doesn't fill up my bucket. I'm getting paid to do it because they don't want it to, to take away from their bucket. Have you heard of the phenomenon? I'm going to call it phenomenon of phenomenon. <laughs> um, massage therapists who 
um, take on their client's pain. Oh, like they get a bunch of back tension and not, not necessarily tension, but like pain, like, yeah, like this like terrible kind of yucky feeling. So I've talked to a few about it and they, yeah, they all say like after like a day of massage, like you just have to like go fetal because you like literally pull the energy into them, into yourself and out of them. I could see that. Like physically, yeah, physically they're doing that anyway. Because it's labor to yeah. help someone relax, but, but then they also said, like, the emotion. Sometimes they could feel like a really like stressed out person or something will feel like really toxic. Um, so I kind of yeah. could see like sometimes that's what we're doing too. We're like taking that, the brunt. We're pulling that. it from them yeah. to make them feel calm, to make them feel yeah. relaxed. We have to take on some of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and without becoming every, the... Every tiny decision, they don't want it, all this. We have to do all the either protect them from it or like take it so basically we take the paralysis like the sleep paralysis demon from them and then it's our sleep paralysis we're the shield or like yeah (laughs) i'm i chapter again chapter four is a hard one for me and i honestly feel like i'm gonna have to go back and process again because there are things i I love doing more Maybe we because can revisit like, later too, is like come back when we've had time to marinate and digest it. Because like I would say, Claire, think about like you love the presentation the most versus the when you're alone in your office concepting. Like that's like the true creative part maybe. But Well, I like that. You like, I, think that I don't like the admin stuff about that. Right. Which so. they go hand in hand for sure. <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't I could I don't think I could ever let go of creative control, but what how about we ask ourselves But that's your excellence maybe, but genius. It's like excellence versus Yes, genius. yes. But okay, so I thought it was interesting. He said most people have a carefully crafted, well justified story about why they can't take their big leap. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you guys have one? Or do you, I mean, like, do we, do you have any blocks? Like I have, I have, one of my big blocks is control. Like, I don't even have a bookkeeper, you guys. I'm going to get a bookkeeper this month. That's something reading this book. (laughs) I was like, I can let that go. Isn't that psycho? Yeah. I mean, I I knew like after a few months, I was like, oh, I can't do this shit. Like, Like, I thought I could at first. And then I was like, this is why everybody says you shouldn't. And I really did like, and that's why Rebecca, when you told me you were doing your website still after this long, I was like, oh, but my story is different than yours. So I was like, well, she has a background in that. She's happy with it. Mm -hmm. I think the truth is you weren't. And even though you did, you should not be, but that's kind of like, I've been trying (laughs) to- I have creative control. Like I have creative control issues for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Um, But also I've been trying to let go of that stuff because I don't want, I don't want to be doing these things. Like I don't, I never really wanted to be a webmaster. I didn't want to be a graphic designer. I don't want to be a bookkeeper. I don't want to be a financial planner. Even though I spent so much time in banking, I've been trying to run from that. Like since I realized I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life before even figuring out it was design school. So I feel like I'm ready to cast stuff yeah. off so if what, I have so, to. So what else can you cast off that would i just feel like if I we just, cast off I everything just brought we in 
don't All like right. then we're left with stuff right then yeah. what are we left like with? i just i just brought in a virtual assistant and it's like i basically was like this stuff makes me mad frustrated or it sucks and she's like okay and i'm just like <laughs> fix it tell me tell me how to make it better what am i not doing that i should what is your expertise in making onboarding and tracking and reporting like you make this just make it better and that's something i got used to in like a corporate culture where you have teams of people dedicated to stuff is you're just like you know who fixes that stuff that team send this problem to them they're gonna fix it and bring it back to you and it's gonna be great and i i've missed having that in my business where it's like give this to them let them do what they're good at to make you look good and to make you better yeah so and do you think there's a like something that like hold holds you back from taking your big leap like if you feel like you're not doing I it i feel i specifically related to bringing on a virtual assistant to help make onboarding tracking reporting and follow-ups better because that's a part where I don't want to let down the process. I don't want it to be so dependent on me. Oh shit, I didn't send that email at three o'clock that day. Like, I don't want that pressure. I want the ability to offload those things when something else comes up that I need to put my genius into. I don't want to be coming back going, oop, that didn't happen or that spreadsheet didn't go out. I want the ability to hand that to someone else so they can do that. And that's why I brought them in. Does that mean, I think that's part of me letting it go so I can do more of the things that make me happier. So you're I'm happy to let them go. Work. Yeah, like I'm happy to let those things go. So right now you don't have any blocks then with your big leap? It sounds like it since you hired a I mean, I think it took me a while to get to the point where I could even say like, I need help with someone to do this. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be another block right behind. Like, I'm sure there is something else. It's just I've been dedicating, dedicating mental space to these issues that I haven't uncovered the others yet. There will be something, for sure. I mean, not to put that out in the universe, but if someone threw two new build projects at me right now, would I be in a place to take that big leap? Mm-hmm. No, I would need to, like, that's a Why couple not? Big- do I want them? Yes. Could I do them? Yes. Am I going to need more help immediately to make them as successful as possible? Yes. And that's part of the adaptability of our businesses is yeah. I need to be ready to adapt and pivot quickly. Yeah. I need to be ready to outsource ready. Like, quickly. You are like, ready. If that happened, I would be like, great. You're going to need an architect. Great. You're going to need a renderer. Great. I'm going to be having an assistance rate in this contract because there's going to be a lot of stuff they're doing, or I'm going to bring on a procurement team because I freaking hate procurement. Like, but I don't want this to just be about like, what can I delegate? I want it to be about what can I do is the, like the zone of genius, right? Is don't focus on what I'm not doing anymore. What am I going to do more of? That's where I'm struggling of like, what is the more I want to be doing once I've delegated off these things I don't want to do or shouldn't be doing anymore? Yeah, I think that's a a great question. And I guess I think just, I mean, would it just be getting more ideal clients, more ideal projects? I think that's part of it. I mean, I think that's, again, the Russian doll is 
more of those, what are those? Who are they? What, do, what types or styles of things do I want to be doing to level up my creativity? Do, what do I want to be saying no to? But that all is leading down to how am I spending my genius? Mm -hmm. I need well, to dig more. Am I, I mean, I definitely think I have some worthiness issues. Like I think that there are opportunities that have come to me or could come that I would like shy from. I mean, I know I'm doing it right now. Um, and yeah, if somebody like, I can't think of who it might be, but like if Mandy Moore approached me, let's just say, I don't know, and asked me to do her house, I'd be like, oh, I, no, I'm not. You would? You'd say no? I think I would think I can't do that. I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not at that level. And I'm not. But that would be like instantly. If Mandy Moore wants you. I think I have a you, low ceiling. Of no, if Mandy Moore wants you, you say yes, Rebecca. I'm as just long saying, as Mandy like, Moore has a healthy budget to pay you for and that. And what if what her new Tahoe <laughs> house watched all your Insta stories and fell in love with you and was like, I want Rebecca to do my house. I want Rebecca to be my friend. Yeah. I mean, I get leads sometimes that I just like assume like, oh, that's not This can't be real. Happen. Or it's just not going to happen. Um, I downplay and probably deflect and demure because I don't think... I can take it on. It's funny because when I look back at like the past two years of my business, that's the time I've been alone, you know, without a partner. And every time I said yes to something that I was afraid of, afraid and excited. Yeah. That's where I've experienced major growth in terms of like confidence in myself or learning new skills or taking my business to the next level. And so that's kind of what I'm looking for, to be honest. Like even the, the nail salon, that was a commercial project. Like I hadn't done a commercial project in four years. Like, yeah. but I think, I think that's kind of what I'm chasing is that fear and excitement mixed together. Because mm -hmm. no, I know true. that that's where you have the biggest reward. That's invigorating. You know, like, I, I mean, I feel like I have a mix of clients right now and I love all of them. But some of our, it's just an, another decorating project. Yes, that I can have fun on, especially the ones with healthy budgets and stuff like that. But those aren't the ones that are like business changing, you know? Right. right. Yeah. So it's like when I feel that feeling of Mandy Moore coming to me and the feeling of me wanting to say no, I need to look into that moment of why do I want to say no? Mm -hmm. And why do you think mm. you're not worthy of it? I don't know. Yeah. Especially if the project is like where I'm stuck on that idea, Rebecca is like, but isn't that some, is that something you'd want to do? Like when we're talking about niching our businesses and like where we want to be ideal projects, ideal budgets, ideal clients, like all of that. If, if what you're saying is doing that project is not what you want your business to go to, I totally understand that. But if you're doing, if you're saying it's not where you want your business to be,
just so you cannot do it, right? Then I'm then I'm struggling. Yeah, if you're that's, saying no out that's of fear. Where, yeah, right, I mean, I would just... be saying no out of fear because any like gaps in my knowledge base, I could hire at her budget. You know, like there's no reason why right. I couldn't get the help that I needed. Um. Yeah, and sometimes I like this is kind of a weird thing that maybe is an excuse, but sometimes I feel like it's um, a visibility thing with like people that look like me or people that are my age being new. Like, I don't know. I always go back to like this mental picture of like good designers are like skinny blonde, pretty ladies. (laughs) Do you guys ever feel that? Oh, constantly and that's why I get frustrated and it's not even like it's not even a read on the skinny blonde designers like there are plenty of talented skinny blonde white designers but also yeah that's the image that part of that is like representation the image we're being sold is that this is what it is and that like we could dive that off into like media bias we could dive that Mm. off into who they paid to do their PR and we just see more of them. I mean, and the more I speak it and the more I say it, the more I'm like, F that. that like, this crazy. is yeah. like, yeah. well, this I is my, also that. my time to like show, like be the representation that someone else needs to see. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and I don't feel that way because think about why you like a, a space you see on Instagram, not because the designer is a skinny blonde woman. Like, uh, your no, clients are not hiring and no offense to skinny blonde women no no they're great love listening. you it's just um, part of that I media representation I would a skinny blonde girl if you can imagine um, <laughs> <laughs> me too but, um, <laughs> I never was <laughs> but, so, like our clients are not hiring us because of what we look like like I don't know I think I really not. think that sometimes I do oh, like I don't fit no. in that world like there's certain worlds that I feel like I don't fit in well, but it's part I don't of that. feel that way. Uh, okay, but okay to to die. Well, we don't need and that, to dive into mean, that I mean, it could whole be issue, my Orange County showing, like where that's, I and grew that's up. where I'm going with that. Is like, yeah. are these just people you wouldn't want to hang out with based on? Like, all my friends in high school were skinny blonde cheerleaders. Like, I'm. And would you want? But would you want them to be with, your client? Like, is that your reaction? I think I is like, I wouldn't want to work with them. No, I think I just feel like I never like stacked up. Like I was mm. from the other side of the neighborhood. And it's not like I was, my parents are like firmly middle-class, but I don't know. Like I grew up in a really upper affluent white pocket mm-hmm. of Orange County. You just felt like an other. And Mexican people in that area are very much an other and it's very much a class situation for the most part least when I grew up there but I don't know I mean this is getting like really deep but um that and I think that's why chapter like chapter three and four was really like oh but it is ridiculous like like saying it out loud makes me feel silly so it's like okay don't like you gotta like say it out loud and face it so it goes away like stop letting that be a thing it's yes and I'm not helping any other like young like mixed folks but isn't this like, part of why we started this podcast was yeah, we weren't seeing sure. a representation of designers that we knew that we were around that were sounded that were, like us 
yeah, sounded like us. We're experiencing the things we were experiencing and we wanted to show that there was another way to look at things or another way to think about things. And I mean, it's not like we're, it's not groundbreaking to have like no. a white gay guy being an interior designer. Like, ooh, surprise y'all. Like, right. and it's not, it's not groundbreaking to think that there are like multicultural people who don't fit everyone's picture of race, ethnicity, body shape, size, gender. Like that's out there. And I feel like maybe particularly West Coast driven that we're all in the West Coast, that's a picture that we see. But I, I feel like designers are called upon to be different, to be unique, to yes. be thoughtful. And then like when I'm at market and I see the designer rocking the giant red glasses or something, and I'm like, you go, bitch. Like, yes, like yes. do something different. Like, oh, that's, I feel like that's what people look to designers to think differently, to be different, yeah. to not represent yeah. the norm because you're not if you wanted the norm you could just copy well, someone I've else's everything i've never wanted to be the norm so i've never strived for it but i also have never felt like a certain level of success was in reach because i wasn't right. the norm i guess that's more of what it is i think our i think our difference is what sets us apart and i think the more we highlight yeah. why we're different why you're different why you're bringing a unique process or background to something the more it's going to resonate with the type of people that you want to work with, the type of clientele, the type of project. Like, I'm sorry, like for Rebecca, I don't see, Rebecca, I don't see you just designing the white room type of, I, I don't, I don't want to be derogatory to anyone's design style. Here, I like, like white. I know. That's what I'm saying though. <laughs> I know but, I'm not offended. But like when I hear Rebecca, like when I see the projects Rebecca works on, I don't go, I can count on Rebecca to create a calm, quiet, layered, fully, like, yeah, like I don't see driven. you doing like a Belgian inspired design, like no, where it's very like rough texture, off white walls with you know stone washed linen, slip covered sofas, or like I don't no. see that for you and. Right. I think what what makes you different is what's going to get people to want to work with you and to create things you're happy with in your zone of genius. Yeah, you don't create basic bitch rooms. <laughs> I can't. You don't look like a I've basic bitch. You're They're not. Yeah, you don't look like a basic bitch. The rooms That's you create true. are basic bitch. Yeah. Like I, I know. I mean, on paper, I celebrate all of these things, but it's just the like inner voice that like bubbles up when you're like about to hit a oh. An upper limit problem, and, you know. An upper limit. Do you guys want to hear what one of the one of the listeners um, emailed us and shared? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So last week, Tammy wrote in and she said, "Hi, friends. This is the fourth reading of the book for me. The first time just gave me a stomach ache, and I'm not even sure I finished it. The second and the third time, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I get it. This latest time is landing differently. This time I'm seeing where I can make changes so I can step into my zone of genius. And I think we're all going through uh -huh. her. We're like going through her first, second, and third reading because we're having this discussion with each other. We're well, pushing that. each other see, to oh, think about see, it. I'm going to disagree. See, I, her email made me realize, wow, this book is going to land on you differently depending where you are in the process. Yeah, so I was yeah. still in the market research industry and I was reading this book. 
I would have been like Tammy with a, a pit in my stomach the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and now I think this is true. Well, we're ready to do the work. All of us, it seems like we're ready to do the work yeah. because we're ready to take the big leap or trying to get ourselves to take the big leap. Right. Um, but and if that's you weren't, next... it, it would land different. It would hit you because you're like, oh crap, I'm in this long career. Like for Claire, like, oh, I'm in this market research career and this isn't where I should be. Oh crap, what have I done? Yeah. What I'm am I going to do? I'm way too much to do. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And that's where I think we're going to have to figure out as we head into like into our next meeting when we get into chapters five and six, I think it'd be good if we start off by maybe spending a few minutes reflecting on like Claire and I, like we still need to figure out our zone of genius maybe and spend some time thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And maybe more will come to us as we head into chapter five, because that talks about like, how do you execute it and live it every day? And how do you use that to create success? And then chapter six is our next meeting also where it's like expressing it and using it and making the space for it. So putting it on your oh, website. This was I'm kind sick. of an emotional journey today, you guys. We have been through all of it. <laughs> I need a drink after this. <laughs> it was a very special <sighs> episode. Da-na-na. That's the sound effect of every, on a very special episode. Da-na-na. The more you know. That's what we're um, having right now. So thank, thank you guys for going through the pathways because I think we all had some breakdowns and breakthroughs during this. It was really good. Okay, well, let's get back to our zones of excellence and competence. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Claire, for joining us for meeting two. We'll see you for meeting three. Oh, my God. It's always so much fun. Thanks, guys. We'll talk Thanks, soon. Thanks, Rebecca. See you Bye. later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D.